Today's reading is Genesis 3, verse 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, you may head to the lobby to find your teacher. The rest of you may be seated. All right, well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. Some of you guys are awake. Uh, happy Mother's Day. We are thankful to be here uh, with you all this morning um, as we are continuing our series on the story of Scripture. If you guys remember, gosh, maybe a month ago or so now, Beth, Daniel, and I came and just kind of shared where we felt like God was leading us, and, and we showed you this triangle that uh, was not new to anyone because it's just kind of what God's people have been thinking about and pressing towards uh, since the church was created, this idea of focusing on God's story, on our formation, and on mission. And so we started this series walking through the story of Scripture. What does God's story say? And so two weeks ago, Ago, we talked about creation. We talked about how God made everything good, how he created people in his image, and so that means we all have intrinsic worth and value. We talked about this culture-making mandate, right, that God commands his people to go and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, and because we're created in God's image, we are called to create, to create culture, to create sushi and barbecue and music and good movies and all of those great things that, that we enjoy. We create because we are we create because we are created in the image of the creator and we realize that as image bearers none of us individually or no one culture can accurately ref reflect the bigness of who God is. So we need diverse cultures to reflect more aspects of who God is. And so we talked about those things and now today on Mother's Day, a day of flowers and happiness and joy, we get to talk talk about sin, <laughs> the fall. <laughs> so, uh, so here we go. You guys heard it read. Ruthie did a great job. We're thankful for that. We're going to talk about sin. And, and this may be a familiar passage, Genesis chapter 3, if you've been around church for a while. You may have heard different takes on it, uh, uh, different elements drawn out of the story. Today, what we're going to focus on is the number of relationships that sin distorts. We're going to look at the number of relationships that sin distorts, all different kinds of relationships. And so, admittedly, as the preacher, I feel like the voice on my shoulder of like, but you got to say this, and you got to say that, and you got to talk about this thing, because there's just so much in here. Here's the reality. Moms want to go to lunch. 
You guys don't want to be here for eight hours while I talk about everything that I nerd out on, so we're going to focus on some parts of this passage, okay? We're going to do this to try to help um, form our biblical worldview, how we view the earth, the world, the cosmos, all that God has created, specifically this week in regards to to the fall, to, to sin, We have this sense as we open up our apps or open up the the paper and look at the headlines, we know that things are not the way they ought to be, right? No matter what your religious affiliation, no, no matter what worldview you have, you can just look out at the world and we have that sense deep within us that it's not supposed to be like this. Something's wrong. And scripture gives us an answer to what is wrong, what happened. And so that's what we're going to explore today. Before we jump into the text, will you guys pray with me? Let's start there. Father, we thank you that you are, um, that you are good. And we thank you that you're in control. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning. Lord, this is a big topic. And in the midst of its bigness, we thank you that you are even bigger. And so would you guide us, would you guide us this morning? Would you guide us uh, into this passage? Would you speak to us? Would you form us deeply? Lord, would you help us uh, to get a better understanding of why the way the world is the way that it is today? Lord, stretch our understanding of what sin is and how it has distorted your good, good creation. Speak to us in the ways that we need to hear from you this morning. We thank you that you will do that. We thank you in advance. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 3, we find out that Adam and Eve are, are in the garden, that things are going well. God has given them any, any fruit from any tree that they see to eat from except for one tree. Except for the one tree, God says, don't eat from that tree or you will surely die. So the first commandment is go eat from any tree. Go enjoy. Enjoy what God has given. Enjoy the abundance of creation. Go delight in in the joys that God has given you. And, And Adam and Eve, sure enough, find their way to the one tree. And we get this story with the serpent, and there's all kinds of questions around this, but what is being communicated here is there is this moment of decision. How will humanity respond to the goodness of God's good creation? Let's pick up uh, in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. We're in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is on page 2 of your pew Bible that's underneath your seat. Sorry, I forgot to do that before I started. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So we're gonna notice some things here in this, in this passage. I know it's a longer passage than we would typically read, but you guys are, you guys are sharp, you can, you can keep up. So what do we notice first? We notice that as soon as sin enters God's good creation, things change. Everything changes. And uh, I, just so you guys know full transparency, um, I am not technological. It's not my gifting. It's not my wheelhouse. But this week, I, I worked hard, right? The, the thorns and thistles. Technology is my thorns and thistles. But I put together some slides for you guys. You're in for a real treat here. You get to see my artistic expertise. So you guys, you guys got the first one? This is, this is just beautiful. <laughs> This is the extent of it. Sorry, guys. So we see, we see our stick figure here. This is going to re- represent Adam and Eve or all of humanity. And we see this relationship with God. This is the first relationship that gets distorted. How do we know that? Well, we know that Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the garden, in the cool of the day. It's this beautiful picture of intimacy, of togetherness, of, of, of relationship. Right? They would enjoy one another's presence, being with God, walking in the cool of the day. That's been one of the gifts of Long Beach for my family already. We moved from Arizona. There is no such thing as cool of the day. <laughs> but here we get the cool of the day and we get to take walks. We get to walk on the beach. You guys have experienced this. You know what it's like when you're engaged in that good, deep conversation and you realize we've gone way farther than we even realized. This is the image that's painted. And then sin enters and we find Adam and Eve hiding. Find them fearful of God. God has to call out, where are you? As if God doesn't already know. But he gives them an an opportunity to respond. 
This response is full of fear, it's full of shame, it's full of blame shifting, it's full of guilt. They're trying to sew together fig leaves. We can already see things have unraveled. Their relationship with God has been distorted. It's not what it once was. Now, instead of God only speaking blessing, only giving positive commands, we see God, their relationship with God shifts, and so now God is beginning to communicate consequences to them, consequences for the disobedience that have echoed throughout the centuries, throughout the generations to us today. So the first relationship that's stored is their relationship with God. Next beautiful artistic slide that we have. Yes. We see their relationship with others distorted. We see Adam and Eve before sin in, in, in harmony, in unity, in oneness. It's this beautiful picture of interpersonal relationship. And once sin enters in, now we see the blame shifting, right? God, this woman that you gave me, I didn't choose her. This is the woman who brought the temptation to me. No ownership, no responsibility. We see blame shifting. We, we, we see shame, right? My boys always, you know, giggle when they were younger when we'd read through the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it's like, oh, they have no clothes. But they didn't care that they didn't have any clothes. They could be vulnerable with one another. There was no insecurity in their relationships with one another. There was no fear. There was no scarcity. There was trust. There was wholeness. They didn't have to hide from one another. There's no shame. There was just authentic, good relationship, the way things ought to be. But that is no more. Now there's fig leaves. Now there's hiding from God and hiding from one another. And if we're honest in our relationships, I still feel the same thing. Those areas of my life that I would prefer to keep covered up with my fig leaves, that I would prefer to keep hidden even from those closest to me, I still feel the same. I still have my feeble efforts of trying to cover up whatever area of insecurity, whatever area of fear, whatever area of sin that I don't want to be exposed. This old strange story still seems to ring true. So we see the relationship with God distorted, this relationship with one another distorted. And then, next slide, we see the relationship with the physical creation has changed. Now, typically in church, we're familiar with the first two, right? Like, every gospel presentation starts with, you know, you've sinned, you're separated from God, and, you know, there's sin with other people. But we see in this, even the relationship with creation itself has changed. Now there's thorns and thistles. Now work gets hard. Now we don't get to just pluck fruit off of the tree. We need to work with the sweat of our brow. So when you go to work tomorrow, and there's that really, really hard thing that you hate and it's frustrating and it just drives you crazy, that's not a new problem. This is what God said. This is how, one of the ways that creation has, has been changed. We see it throughout the biblical story, right, of, of the realities of physical creation, the earth, environments, right, habitats, like all of these things, there are ways that um, they will be redeemed when Jesus returns. So, so think about the images we get. Now we know that if there's a lion and a lamb together, like the lion's going to be full. He's going to get a meal. 
But one day, physical creation will relate to itself differently. The lion and the lamb will lay down together. There will be peace. We, we know and, uh, you know, we try to keep our kids away from poisonous snakes, but there's passages that talk about one day when Jesus comes back, the little child will lay down with the viper. They will, there will be peace there. Creation will be restored. One of the ways that Jesus in the Gospels reveals his deity, the fact that he is God, is by interacting with physical creation. When there's a storm, he calms it, restores it to the way it ought to be. When there's gallons, uh, huge jugs of water at a wedding, he creates wine the way it ought to be. Am I allowed to say that in church? We see physical creation has been affected by the fall. Even in Eve's physical body, there's now pain in childbirth. There's now sickness and disease. Death is being ushered in. Yes, spiritual death. Yes, brokenness in our relationships, but physical death as well. That is not the way God created our world to be. And we feel the weight of it. As a people who are trying to figure out the, the way out of the, these last few years who <laughs> have become so-called experts in infectious disease and COVID-19 and all of these things, we feel the weight of physical creation not operating the way it's supposed to be. We feel it in our physical bodies. As I feel my knee and my finger that I injured when the weather changes. We know that things are not the way supposed to be the way that God designed it, but we also know that when Jesus talks about reconciling or restoring all things, he really means all things, my knee included. So we have this relationship with, with God, this relationship with, our, with others, this relationship with physical creation. All of these things have been distorted, but there's more relationships than that. Next slide. I got fancy here. It was a curved arrow, <laughs> right? That took me a while. Um, <laughs> It's actually not a joke. It did take me a while to figure this out. <laughs> our relationship with ourself, our relationship with ourself has been distorted. Adam and Eve hide. Adam and Eve try to cover their nakedness. Adam and Eve blame. Adam and Eve, you can tell they're responding from places of shame and hurt. There's anxiety. I cannot be found by God. I need to hide. What will he do? There's fear. None of this existed before. None of this existed before, but we still feel this today. Those areas of brokenness where we don't trust God, those areas of fear where it's so hard to have faith, those sins that we continue to run back to time and time again because we believe the lie that they will bring comfort. Because we believe the lie that they will bring a moment of escape, and even though it's never worked out, it's never been worth it in the past, maybe this time it will. These areas that we know are going to cost us more than we want to pay, but we're willing to dip our toes in the water for a moment of rest that never delivers. Those things that we're trying to cover up, those painful memories we're trying to forget, we feel the ways that sin has distorted our relationship with our very self. We feel the weight of it. This is one of the reasons we show up every Sunday. 
to be reminded that it doesn't have to be that way. That Jesus stepped in, he he went to the cross, he died for our sins, he provides salvation and forgiveness for us so we don't have to carry the weight of these distortions. We can live an abundant life that he promises. We can experience freedom. We know where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we don't have to carry this stuff anymore. Maybe you guys already get that, but if you're like me, that's, I need to be reminded sometimes. I need those reminders, even in my very self. So we see sin distorts our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with the physical creation, even our relationship with ourselves. And when we're thinking through this, all of this is an individual relationship. How I individually relate to God. How I individually relate to others and to creation and to myself. But we understand we're created in the image of a triune God. We are created for community. The only thing God says is not good before sin enters the world is it's not good for humans to be alone. So collectively, how does sin distort our relationships? So next slide, and this takes a little explanation. Humanity creates systems and structures. We create culture. Now, read the parentheses. This is a cityscape, cities are not evil, okay? I don't know how else to illustrate systems and structures. So just go with it, all right? What happens when image bearers get together and they create culture? This is a good gift that God commanded us to do. We create beautiful aspects of culture, right? We talk about barbecue and sushi and and street tacos and all of these delicious things. Now there's another reality, because sin has entered the world, We also understand that sin has affected the cultures we create. Now, there's different language for this. We can call it cultural idolatry. We can call it systemic injustice. One of those may be like a buzzword trigger for you. Stay with me. We're communicating the same thing. This is not a new concept. We see this throughout the biblical narrative. Think of um, uh, Joseph and his family in Egypt. Joseph created a system to feed people in Egypt and in other nations while there was a famine. This is a good system. A few pharaohs later creates a system to enslave the Hebrews and force them into hard labor. This is an unjust system. This concept of systemic injustice is not new. Creating a system of idolatry in the ancient Near East, which influenced people by saying, if you want to harvest plentiful crops, you have to sacrifice your children to this idol, is systemic injustice, systemic idolatry. It is not the way we are created to be. God calls us to create systems of blessing in abundance. And we see aspects of that in our humanity, in our diverse cultures. But there is also ways that sin is manifested throughout cultures. We can think through lots of examples in scripture, right? Think about so many of the things the prophets say to Israel. You create, you use, um, uh, I just lost it, 
uh, weights and measurements that are unjust. They are, ex they are creating false weights and measurements in the marketplace to, in order to exploit the poor to get more money for the wealthy. That is a system of exploitation, a system of injustice, a system of idolatry that elevates financial gain over the lives of fellow image bearers. We think about Jesus flipping the table in the temple because a system has been established within the temple that exploits travelers who are coming to worship God. We think about the systems in the Roman Empire that said, you know, uh, they could force those that they were oppressing to carry their armor, to walk with them, to take their clothes, right? The tax collectors, there are lots of systems of oppression that we see throughout Scripture. Revelation talks about some of these. So when we talk about this, use whatever language is comfortable for you. I understand that this can be a triggering concept. But if we are to understand the fullness of the ways that sin has distorted God's good creation, and we keep it focused only on the individual, we're missing something that we really, really, really need to pay attention to. We need to be able to understand that sin may be bigger than we realized. That feels scary. That feels overwhelming. Some of you guys have, have been in church longer than I've been in life, and I thank God for you. You have thought about sinner, sin longer than me. Maybe it's bigger than you've realized. I've, you know, gone to the schools, and this is, this is my job, right? I read the books. Maybe it's bigger than I realized. But the good news is, as big as sin is, <laughs> Jesus is bigger. As powerful as sin is, Jesus is stronger. As disruptive as sin is, Jesus is the better answer. Jesus provides the better sacrifice, and we see who God is demonstrated all the way back in this original story of sin entering in. We see his character. We see his goodness. We see his pursuit of his people. It's the first thing God says after sin enters. Where are you? We don't see a God who has turned his back on humanity. A God who says, they blew it. I knew they were going to do it. Done with them. Oh, we see a God who steps into the garden. A God who seeks them out. A God who gives them an opportunity to respond, and he still is giving us the same opportunity today. He's still asking us, where are you? those areas of your life that you're trying to cover up with fig leaves, where are you? The shadows that you think you can hide in, God is there asking the same question, where are you? Reminding of the same promise, yes, serpent, you may have won this battle, but you have not won the war. As a matter of fact, one is coming who will crush the serpent's head despite the fact that the serpent has, has bit his heel. This, we understand now, is a promise that God would provide a savior, that God would provide a Messiah, that God would send his own son to be bit on the heel, to get a taste of death, but only for a short time, because there's a better story than the one that sin tells us because of what we celebrated just a few weeks ago, because of the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now we get to see God restore all of these relationships. 
We get to experience salvation in our relationship with God. This, this relationship can be made right again. We get to experience reconciliation in our relationships with others. Some of you guys have incredible stories of forgiveness, of ways that other people have wronged you and you have extended the olive branch of peace, this demonstration of the love of Jesus when you have forgiven them. We can experience this. We get to, as members of the body of Christ, experience his love in tangible ways by uh, expressed through our brothers and sisters in Christ. That reminder that, yes, God forgives us and we can forgive others as well. We experience this in the physical creation. We see Jesus walking around healing people left and right because in his kingdom, there is no sickness or death. Is some of us who have experienced healing through prayer, thank God for that. We pray for more of it. Some of us have experienced healing because God has equipped, equipped brilliant minds in medical fields who are creating good cultures and good systems of health and healing that bring physical restoration that give us just a little glimpse of what the coming kingdom will look like. We experience healing even within our very selves. For some of us, this is your job. You meet with people daily in your office, and, and as they engage therapy, as they engage your counseling, they are experiencing some of this restoration even with themselves. And you're reminded of Jesus as you do your work. You're reminded of the ways that he speaks truth to identity, the ways that he invites those on the margins into God's family. Those who are unclean become clean. Those who were once cast off are welcomed in. There's this physical restoration in all of life as God's spirit brings his hope and his peace and his salvation. And lots of times that happens through the regular work that we engage in day in and day out. This is a beautiful thing. And we know it's not just individual. I have incredible conversations with some of you guys who are doing this work at the systemic level, bringing hope and, and encouragement and peace and flourishing in our city, in our school district, in our very streets. We are experiencing glimpses of the kingdom. As kids are receiving an education that is meeting them where they're at with an understanding of their story, of who they are, of who God has created them to be, of ways that they have experienced brokenness. We see it as nonprofits are being funded that are, are meeting to the very real needs of people in our city in the same ways that Jesus fed the crowds, in the same ways that Jesus brought healing. We see glimpses of this throughout Long Beach. And so the good news is that as we begin to see how big sin is, as God is stretching our imaginations of what sin actually is, our understanding of what sin actually is, Jesus is still bigger. We see this at the very end of the passage. Let me reread this. this I love this. It's like a weird little note here. At the end of chapter 3, um, we're going to read verse uh, 21. So on page three, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The Lord God made for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Church, God's word is always true. 
Paul says it years and years and years later, but the wages of sin is death. Animals had to die because of Adam and Eve's sin. A sacrifice had to be made to cover them, to protect them, to clothe them. And even from the very beginning, this is what God does. He provides the sacrifice for his people so that they can be returned to wholeness. This is what God does as he establishes the sacrificial system throughout Israel's history that sacrifices will be provided because the wages of sin is death. And God is a God who moves towards us, who provides a way that where there is no way, who makes a way possible when the sin and the brokenness and the barriers feel overwhelming. He is still there with us, providing, clothing, inviting us in, asking us, where are you? Promising that it won't always be this way, that a better day is coming. Inviting us to understand the sacrifice that has been made on our account. The freedom and the life in our individual relationships and in our collective relationships. When it says Jesus is the Prince of Peace, he means it. He means it as we relate to God. He means it as we relate to one another, as we relate to physical creation, as we relate to ourselves, and as groups of people relate to one another. He is the Prince of Peace. And as scary as it is to begin to see how big sin is, it is so hopeful to understand how powerful the salvation of Jesus is. And so how do we respond to this? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I understand covering all these different types of relationships. This could stir up who knows what. And so the band's going to come up, and and they're just going to play some music for a time for you to reflect. And and you guys, I mean, you're grown-ups. You're intelligent people. You know how the Spirit is calling you to respond. Maybe that means you're going to get down on your knees and you're going to pray by yourself to God. Thank God for that. Maybe there are people here that you would love to have pray with you. Maybe there is a person whose face God is bringing to mind right now in this sanctuary that you are feeling called to go pray with. Do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of that. There are going to be people on either side of of the sanctuary who would love to pray with you about anything. Maybe this is the day. Maybe you have been wondering about Jesus for a while, and today is the day that something clicked. And you don't know what the next step is. Go pray with somebody. Maybe this is the day that you finally have the courage to name the thing that you've needed prayer for for a very, very long time. Thank God for that. There are people here who would love to pray with you. If my wife and I have found one thing to be true of the people of grace, you are a kind and loving people who want to help. So all those like feelings of like, oh, I don't know if I can tell anyone this, like just trust, just trust. God is moving, God, that is God speaking to you, you don't have to doubt it, and there are people here who love you and want to pray with you and tell you what God is like when we all need reminders. So I'm gonna pray, band's gonna play, and then we're just gonna, you guys can pray together how God is leading you. Jesus, I'm so thankful 
for how faithful you are, you are still saying the same thing. Where are you? You are still pursuing us. You're still inviting us to name our areas of brokenness. You're still promising a better day. You're still providing the sacrifice for us. You're still clothing us with righteousness and forgiveness and hope. You're still moving towards the areas of brokenness in, in our personal lives, in our personal stories, in our cultures, in our nations, in, in our world. You'll, you are still calling your people to the broken areas to bring healing. That's what you do. Would you bring healing to us individually? Would you bring healing to us as a community? Would you embolden us with your spirit to move out into our city and bring healing to those areas that you are calling us to? We cannot do it alone. And we cannot do it just to make things nicer. We want to do this because this is who you are and this is who you are calling us to be, not so that our names would be made great, but so that the name of Jesus Christ would be made great in the city of Long Beach. That this place would be full of your spirit. Jesus, we are so thankful that you are here. We are so thankful that you are speaking and you are moving. We are excited for what you're doing. Guide us, Lord. Guide us in this time. We pray this in your name. Amen.